0: Savvy, thoughtful leader, and cutting edge. These are just a few of the words I took away from a conversation with one of our industry's most respected leaders. Brian Jack has been a part of one of the faster growing advisory firms in the country, and he has helped to shape the foundation for growth. Despite the long tenure in the industry, Brian is constantly innovating and finding new ways to be efficient internally and constantly exceed the expectations for clients' experiences. We talk Everything from efficiency to technology in this week's edition with Brian Jack of Boudreaux, Rulin & Roe. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Brian, thanks for taking some time to chat with us. Uh, how's everything been going up there in uh, Ohio? Staying cold?
1: Uh, it's been plenty cold this week. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, everything is going very well here. Uh, other than the cold weather, we're off to a great start in 2019.
0: That's great, and you are a uh, you are a huge uh, Ohio State fan. And so, given I'm a Georgia fan, uh, what do you think of your uh, your new quarterback up there?
1: Uh, the new quarterback up here, he looks like he's going to turn out just fine. Uh, hopefully, that uh, I mean Georgia didn't need him, obviously, right. but uh, um, Ohio State definitely did. Ohio State's quarterback, obviously, leaving. Uh, Provided some uh, opportunity for for him to transfer up here, and actually our quarterback here transferred to Miami, so it's just musical chairs.
0: Right, right. And you, so you were a, a manager for the Ohio State team win in '99, was it, or, or 2000?
1: Uh, so I was there. Uh, yeah, so I came to school there um, from '95 to '99, and yeah, I did work as a as a as a field manager for them for the. the five seasons I was there, so that that allowed me uh, the opportunity to to get a scholarship and do some other things uh, with the team for those periods, and it was kind of a, it was a very interesting experience and something that I cherish very much. I got to go to a, a rose bowl and a couple of sugar bowls and a citrus bowl.
0: That's, uh, not many people can say that, so that's, uh, that's an awesome experience, and it kind of goes to your um, kind of your work ethic in back in, you know, to pay for college. You uh, worked in the summers. Tell us a little bit about that and kind of what drove you to th- those routes.
1: Yeah, you know, and it's fine. It's something that I think that, you know, we're always constantly looking for talent and everything here, and I think it's something a lot of uh, this younger generation's lost a little bit. When I was growing up, I mean, I didn't have a lot of money. We grew up in a pretty, you know, hardworking uh, blue-collar town, and, you know, they hired summer help in the steel mills in the summertime so i came home my freshman year and um i spent about seven weeks working in the steel mill working everything from general labor to coke plant to any pretty horrible job you could find and uh, being the youngest guy in the mill, you worked uh, two 16-hour shifts an eight-hour shift and then two more 16-hour shifts and then you had two days off. Right.
0: So you learned you learned a, a work ethic uh, that's unique. I, I agree with from the younger generations. Not many people have uh, spent that many hours in a in a in a, in a job uh, day in and day out.
1: Yeah, you learned that that's not something you want to do for your entire life. <laughs> now, you'd be there, guys. You sit next to guys that have been doing it for you know forty years, and you're just like, wow. I mean, that's. That,
0: that that's tough yeah day in and day out for 45 years or so that's a that's a long ride that takes a special a special breed for sure um well let's hop into this because I, i'm really excited about this conversation i i've uh, you know i have tons of respect for for y'all up there in columbus and and i've been watching y'all grow and it's been interesting and fun so i'm excited to dive into this and i and i i want to i guess start you know somewhat tongue-in-cheek start easy here um, and really just dive right in. And you're focused on, you know, managing the operations of, of this large and growing RIA, RIA up at Boudreaux Ruling and row. What are the top three things that really keep you up at night um, kind of running the operations and and understanding all the technology as well?
1: Oh, man. Top three things to keep me up at night. Well, I, I'd have to say that, you know, probably the top thing, in, it they change. I mean, obviously three years ago, it's probably different. But today, I would tell you, probably the first thing that keeps me up at night is is cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. It is just, it has become such a pillar of everything we do here. Um, I mean, the perfect example is, as we were getting ready to start recording this, we had some tough time getting Skype to work because of all the security protocols that are in place here. It's just something that is now in the forethought of not just our technology or our operations team, but it, you know, it's forefront for our planning staff, our management, our admin team, they all are constantly aware of, of cybersecurity.
0: Yeah. And, and I guess, how do you think, because cybersecurity is on everybody's mind, right? That's yeah, We are in possession of some very valuable data on these individuals and they're trusting us as RIAs to, to be secure with that. How do you see kind of this focus on cybersecurity um, revolutionizing or evolving to change or shape our industry going forward? I mean, what does it mean from a a new technology standpoint? What does it mean from a personnel standpoint of people that RIAs are going to need to hire in the future? How is it going to shape our industry from your perspective?
1: Well, I think it, it does affect our industry in a number of ways. One, you're going to be hiring more technology-style people, people with security backgrounds. I mean, when you look at the IT people you're hiring today, it's not just, you know, hey, the guy that helps does the help desk. It's not only a guy that, you know, does the network. It is a guy that understands emphatically, the security that needs to be run for a firm that's handling financial data. Mm-hmm. And when we look at hiring new people, you're trying to pull those people in, and you see somebody that's you know, done data security first, credit card, or a bank or something, and those are absolutely people you want to talk to. I think second off, it makes you a technology company. And I know I've said this, and you'll probably hear me say it more than once today. If you're a financial planning firm, whether you like it or not, you're a technology company. Because you can't be in business today in the financial planning world without using technology. And if you don't understand exactly what that technology does and what you're exposing your clients and yourself to, then you're in trouble.
0: And so that that's a that's a unique perspective, and I agree with you. And and I think that when a advisor hears that, right, you know, just like maybe the mom and pop or, or an advisor that's been around for a while um, and hasn't necessarily invested in technology, it, it could scare them as well. How and if so, does that differentiate from the how people perceive technology companies today? Right, when you perceive a technology company today, you're thinking, or at least some people think hey, this is a, a company that's developing technology, that's coding, that has these engineers that sit on beanbags like Google. When you say that a financial advisor is a technology company, elaborate a little bit on that. How does that look within a firm?
1: Uh, well, when you look at the way we use the technology, it's not creating technology. There are plenty of firms that I know that, that, that build their technology in-house. And that's awesome that they're, that they're capable and willing to do that and spend that money. But most, most firms aren't, we, we do not, we do it very rarely. Um, what it is, is being able to use, understand, secure, and be able to explain the way that the software works. So that it becomes a benefit for your clients. You know, you, when you start talking and, and you kind of brought up in the beginning was that you know, we are a large growing firm and, when we were 20 people, you know, when we added enough clients, you added a 21st guy and a 22nd person. When you when you get to the point when you're 40, 50 people, you just can't keep doing that. You have to become more efficient. Mm-hmm. And that efficiency comes through technology, through process, and uh, through systematization. And when you look at those things through there, it's all about technology. And it's about understanding how those things work and make sure that you're always getting the best technology in front of your in front of your clients.
0: Right, and I think that, that that's a huge point that you bring up. It's a matter of how do you integrate all these technologies, right? Because I, I've talked to, and I'm sure you have as well, right? We've, we've both talked to many advisors out there that say, well, I've got this technology. I've got, you know, I've got MailChimp or HubSpot for email marketing. I've got Salesforce for my CRM and I've got Orion for my portfolio management system and I've got X, Y, and Z for my file share, whatever it may be. But it's not a matter of just having the technology. It's a matter of how do they work together to make your job easier, but then also create extensive or you know extreme value for your clients to where they don't necessarily need to know they're interacting with all those different technologies, and they're getting this seamless personalized experience, leveraging the technology. But you have to have an understanding of how they can work together, and what's the best way for them to work together to meet the processes of your firm.
1: Exactly, and what is even more so on that is even if you can build that that wonderful seamless um, uh, proposition for your client, you know, they're, they're seeing just one technology. It's all for this is great. If you were doing two tons of double work on the back end to make sure that they get this nice seamless integration eh, while you're, you're, you're hitting one of the, you're hitting one of the points. You're not getting the point of being efficient. Right. So if your CRM doesn't talk to your, you know, your mass mailing client or doesn't talk to your paperless office you're entering everything twice. Right. You just any efficiency that you're building and all this goodwill you're building is causing you just overhead on the backside, and it, it can be killer.
0: And I'm going to go off track for this a little bit. I just want, I'd love your opinion on this because I think that um, my opinion is is within the financial advisory industry advisors and founders and executives of growing firms have been burned in the past with technology because I think that they don't necessarily see the ROI out of the technology right away and or over time they say well I got this technology and it just didn't do what it said it was going to do and and I think that you know the perception of how we adopt technology or the, the way we go about adopting technology in the future needs to change because it needs to say, we're not just adopting technology just to have it. We're adopting technology to solve a problem. And we know how it's going to be in, um, interactive with our other technologies because in the past we just adopted technology adopted technology thinking that it was just going to be out of the box create efficiencies you have to put time into it of thinking of how it all works together and how it works into your processes day to day or it's just never going to see the roi and i think people in the past have been burned because they just they thought they would see the roi and they didn't know that actually adopting technology takes work internally as well after you get the technology
1: the, the implementation of software is always the hardest part. You can talk to 25 different vendors, each one of them has the greatest product in the world that that is going to solve all your problems. And you get it, you buy one, you put it in place and you expect to come out of the box and just work and suddenly, oh, you know, we have to do all this integration work and we have to do all this training, and we have to do all this setup. That's the part that gets lost on most people is um, the fact that it's the work after you purchase the software. But before, it's, before it is turned on and is live for everybody is where everything is made. Mm-hmm. And, it is the, and it, it, it's something that even our firm still struggles with is the implementation of how you go about things. Because different softwares uh, are implemented in different ways. Right. And something that's going to touch everybody in the firm like a CRM or a paperless office system. The training for that and the, the work that you go into when you're vetting those softwares is vastly different from something that say might be like planning software. Where playing software, you know your admin team and your data team, their opinion of it while it may still be important, isn't critical to the to the software's implementation.
0: Right. What, what? I
1: think that's the that's the part that gets missed.
0: I a hundred percent agree. I think that they think once they've signed the the the, the agreement, it's it's kind of. It should be now adding all the value that they dreamt up of, but and thinking back to kind of you've you've been part of those implementations of new technologies. Can you point to an experience or a technology where you had an, a, a great? implementation experience, and, and what did that look like, both from from how you ran it internally to how the technology or software company uh, interacted with you to guide you through that implementation to get full adoption of, of the technology? Have you found one yet, or are you still on the search for that technology company?
1: You know, the, the funny part is, is you know, not only do I have a good example of that, it's actually an example that we're getting ready to go through here again. So about three, four years ago, uh, we decided that we were going to upgrade our our CRM software, big upgrade. You know, affects everybody in the in the office. You know, large firm like ours, everything is put together. Everything has a has a workflow, has a system, so that you're very consistent uh, for clients. And when we undertook this, you know, we went started looking at all the big players. You know, you're looking at you know the, the junctures and the red tails and the Salesforce and and Celentica and Tamarack. And we looked at everybody and we went through this and, you know, we finally did, we, we picked one, we went through and we had a whole team and we, we did, we set up a task force there that said, we're, we're going to get an individual from each group of the entire company that where this affects them, where they work day to day. And we're going to go through and we're going to look at each one of these softwares. And that, what we, what we got out of that was that everybody, even though we had all these systems put together, everybody used it a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. And to make sure that we got all of those things together, you know, it was good to have everybody in the same room. Everybody had the same thoughts. Everybody had different questions. Everybody kind of brought things to us that we would have never thought of if it had just been a, a technology group or an operations group or a planning group that kind of decided this. We went through. We worked diligently with the company to make sure that our training was online and all of our conversion data. We had a whole team set up that did nothing but go through and look at our workflows and say, hey, does this this old workflow look this way? This is how the new one's going to work. Do we have any questions here? Are there any problems? I mean, we have about 50 or so workflows that we run in the office on a day-to-day basis for either planning our investments. We had to make sure all 50 of those worked in day one. And we had to make sure that the ones that were in process when we moved over, all were converted and were updated to the right piece. It was, it, it worked out very well. Right. And the funny part was that we, you know, we enjoyed... The, the company we were working with, they did a nice job on the training. Our staff was able to come in. We, you know, On a Wednesday, we were on one program. We came in on a Thursday, and we were on the new program, and everybody was up and running within a few hours. Right. It was actually a very good transition. The funny part is that you know, three years later, we've decided that we've kind of started to outgrow that software. That software it has gone through a, uh, an ownership change um, in the past 18 months or so, and we're not seeing the same service any longer that we did when we did the implementation. And so we've now started the whole process over again. And we're actually taking a very similar approach with putting together a task force of everybody in the in the office and and starting to build that same that same research uh, file that we did last time.
0: And, and so that's that's a similar process of, of of a task force where having too many cooks in the kitchen could be great because if you don't get enough cooks in the kitchen, then you're going to make a decision that may not be the right decision for the entire firm because you, you think you know how... I think that that's the challenge. Everybody thinks they know how other divisions within a firm run uh, because we have this kind of uh, hypothetical. But until you let them get in there and show what they do on a day-to-day basis, you're, you're probably going to miss something, right? You're going to have this uh, this uh, probably invalid assumption. Um,
1: Correct. And, and that is very, very key to, because the planning team may use the system one way, the admin team may use it another way, the data team may use it a different way. Management, from my standpoint, I'm looking at something completely different than what they look at on a day-to-day basis. So it's, a, it's very, very different. Uh, it's very good to have those different opinions in in the room without trying to get... And you do bring up a good point. If you have too many cooks in the kitchen you tend to struggle with, can we get anything accomplished? Right. And that's where you need to have a clear leader. You know, we, and we do for every one of our task force, we pick, you know, this is our our champion. This is our leader. This is the person who's going to run this through. And, you know, it's their job. And, you know, we incentivize them with compensation to say, this is what you need to make sure that this, this task force stays on task. And these are the dates that we expect, you know, from management style, from a management standpoint, we expect you to meet, and it's uh, that's how you that's how you do it successfully.
0: Yeah, and flipping, kind of moving along in this conversation, but staying with regards to technology. You know, technology is evolving so quickly in our space, and um, and I think some people from outsiders point to our industry and say, and I think even inside our industry say that we are an industry slow to adopt technology, right? Slow to innovate from that standpoint. How how do you keep um, your team and the firm overall focused on continuing to be open-minded, not getting necessarily stuck in their ways, to enable yourself to stay ahead of the trend of innovation in our space that is happening, maybe at a slower pace than other industries, but that is happening? How do you keep... People from just getting too comfortable, but also not um, uh, irritating them too much, I guess. But still innovating as a firm.
1: So it's it's a fine line because you can you can get technology fatigue very easy. Um, you know, the staff that we have here, we've got you know thirty wealth managers here at um, it, it, it various levels. You know, talking with clients and their primary. Their primary job is to serve clients and and to do planning and to handle their investments and to manage that relationship be that that uh, that team coach that they need they They really don't want to every you know month learn a new piece of software or a new way to do things so you you have to be careful to make sure that when you're doing something like that, you say listen, we're going to install Constant Contact or MailChimp or something like this. We understand that this is going to cause a little bit of a disruption in your day-to-day operation, but this is all that we can do with it after we've got it up and running. And usually teams will look at it and say, yeah, I understand the short-term, the short-term dis- dysfunction of this is a longer-term solution for us. Mm-hmm. And I think that you know we've got a staff here of some of the people that that are so well thought of the future thinking, well, I guess I should reword that. They, they think so well of how this needs to work in the future that they they can see the they can see the forest amongst the trees. And I mean, sometimes they might get a little frustrated with me or my group that that hey, we're pushing up too much stuff, but. They do understand. At the end of the day, we're doing it because there's a plan.
0: Well, I mean, it just shows. It goes to show that you've created this culture of learning where people are open to to learning because you've shown an ability to um, improve the way that they serve their clients and improve the way that they do their business. But it's a culture of learning. I mean, do, is that fair to say that y'all have that culture? There? I, I mean,
1: I, I think it is. I think that you know what the piece that gets missed on most of this is. That when we decided that you know you know there's nobody here that owns a client. All the clients here are owned by the firm, mm-hmm. and so that that's very different from a lot of firms. You know, a lot of firms will command the you know the founders got 40 clients, co-founders got another she side. Like, we don't have that. Everybody's a client of the firm here. Everybody serves the clients equally. So as we grew, we knew we had to become more efficient. So you know. Doing planning on Excel spreadsheets and those things was no longer efficient enough for the, for the clients that we had. So we said, we need to implement planning software. So, you know, obviously that, you know, for a, plan, for a planner, that is one of the biggest and most painstaking systems to try to bring online. But to do it, everybody there thought, well, if I'm, you know, if I'm handling, if my team's handling 80 client relationships, when this software's done, I can handle 100. Right. And it's that efficiency and that understanding of, you know, hey, we're all in this together that has really picked up and has made that culture not only a culture of learning and understanding, but a culture of client first.
0: Right, right. No, that makes sense. I mean, the the client always trying to add more value and be able to deliver more value to each client is, is kind of a driving decision for technology and, and that kind of leads me to, to one of the last couple of questions I have for you is you know you are a technologist i think you you enjoy technology you you talk about technology to you know at different conferences and such and so you know what are you really most excited about when it comes to all the technologies that are entering the financial advisory space and and then to kind of add to that what value do you believe that this will add to the end client, right? What are those that excite you? And then why does it excite you? And, and why should clients actually be excited as well?
1: Well, there's a lot of neat, very neat and exciting things that are coming. And you know, some of it feels like it should be here already. Some of it, the, the slower pace is good. I mean, you know, one of the big things is you know integration. Um, you know, we kind of talked, we touched on this a little bit earlier, like, you know, these systems only need to integrate. But when systems start to to integrate seamlessly and you're able to provide a client a complete picture of their entire wealth and be able to do it where it doesn't take 10 people in your your office on the backside gathering all this data and hand-entering it and doing those things, when that stuff's all built together, you're going to see the consumer becomes very empowered. Because once you're able to do this for them, they're able to really grasp you know, their financial well-being and kind of do it. And I think it's a, it, it's going to be a huge game changer. I think another one which really kind of excites me is artificial intelligence. Because the AI stuff that is coming, we are just on this, I we're kind of on this cusp of everything kind of making this giant leap. And I was speaking with some colleagues a, a couple of months ago, and they said, well, you know, what is this like? And I said, this is like when the Internet came online and everybody in the 90s was just starting to get in the." You think about what it looked like from 1994 to 2014, it really changed everything. And I think we're on the cusp of seeing that yet a second time. And this AI is going to, I think for a lot of planners, it frightens them because they think of it as competition. But if you think of it more as a tool to use to better help your clients, you are going to see clients, you're going to gather more clients, and more prospective clients. Because you're using the technology to help the client be better, right? You know, a, a, <laughs> a lot of people got real excited about robo, and robo's the AI that's kind of half baked. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's not quite there yet, but it, it, you know, eventually it'll get there. But it's it's not a standalone product, and that's that's why I think everybody in our industry, um, you know, was the sky is falling, the sky is falling when these guys first started coming online, and it, it really hasn't materialized that way. It's all been well robo is good as long as you have somebody there to call and and get advice from and have an understanding of of what they're seeing.
0: Right. I mean, and then on AI, right? I think that a lot of people are, have a misperception of what AI is, right? I think that they jump automatically to a robot that is a real actual robot that can, you know, build a car, right? That is a form of AI, uh, but AI is really just eliminating, uh, you know, Eliminating tasks or being able to replace tasks, which then gives the human more ability to to have that cognitive, emotional connection and explanation with the client. So, you know, in your mind, where do you see? Uh, and then we'll move on to buy sell. But where do you see uh, AI fitting in within a financial advisor client relationship?
1: Well, I I think the the key here, and it's something that has become more and more obvious um the last couple of years is we're running into a people shortage there's just not enough people going into financial planning to be able to do a lot of the legwork that's there today and i think this ai allows us to spend the time with the clients that is the most valuable and as opposed to you know us crunching through numbers and, and building spreadsheets we'll let the systems do those things and you spend those times having those great conversations with your clients about their kids and their grandkids and their their goals and what they want to do and things that change. It, it that is the key is to this this is a we've got a people shortage and we know we've got a people shortage and, and this system's gonna come online and be able to provide us the ability to spend more time with our clients.
0: Yeah, and it's all about fulfillment, right? That's what's at the top of a desire, right? Help them feel fulfilled and just having market returns or beating the market isn't necessarily that fulfillment. How can you build that relationship to help them reach that fulfillment whether it's in retirement or while they're working so I I agree wholeheartedly with you I mean we could sit here I could have a conversation with you we've had before you know hours of technology I think that's a really exciting thing for our industry Um, but I want to flip over to my cheesy game I've created which is buy or sell Uh, given we're talking to financial advisors I thought we had to have a little bit of a mix in there Um, and so what we'll do is I have four statements here buy or sell we'll see if you're bullish or bearish given the statements and how I set them up for you um, and then we'll, we'll go into some closing thoughts. Uh, how, how about that, Brian? Okay. Uh, all that right. sounds good. First one, buy or sell. Our industry won't see the same type of Amazon disruption that other industries like retail have seen. Uh,
1: I'm I'm going to sell that for today, at least. I, I think while this may be coming someday, I think that our industry is so... Um, would be the correct word here too fragmented uh, with different things whether it's it's brokers whether it's fee based whether it's fee only whether it's insurance I, I i think if it were a much more homogeneous thing like say groceries we'd be in a lot more trouble a lot faster right but i think today i, I i'm not quite there yet That it's i i think someday it'll get there but not quite anytime in the near future
0: okay i'll take that i'll take that buy or sell the client is the reason that financial advisors are weary of adopting too much technology.
1: Uh, I, I'm gonna sell that one too and I think it, I think it's more or less it's, it's the planner's inability to um, adapt the, the technology. The clients love it. I mean the funny part and, and uh, not to get off the subject but I mean to give a great little story we, we decided a few years ago we were going to take away all the paper in our client meetings. And so today we started handing out these ipads well we had a couple of planners who were like there's no way our clients are ever going to like this and i said well let's try it for 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 one month and we'll put them in every meeting and we hand every client who comes in their spouse their attorney everybody gets an ipad and we do the whole meetings that way we in the entire time we did it we had one client complain and she's like she says you know, and i i called her i said you know miss smith you know why why don't you like doing this she says to be honest with you she says when we're going over my investment results I like to doodle in the, in the margins when I'm tuning everybody out. I was unable to do that. And it was just kind of a funny conversation. And it was, but it was, you know, that was the only complaint we ever had. And, you know, we, our people here were just so set against it. Our, our clients are never going to go for this. They're never going to go for it. And the clients loved it.
0: I love that. That's a great story. I mean, I think that, I think we always, I think a lot of advisors sometimes think that the clients won't want it, but then. Uh, it, it's. I think there's something deeper down, right? That's there that they may just want the advisors themselves may not want to adopt it. Um, buy or sell tech regulation, or maybe I'll mean, I even throw SEC regulation within our industry will keep the client from greater digital interactions with their advisors.
1: That one I actually buy. I think that I think a lot of the rules that we have around advertising and social media and these ways that the next generation clients. I mean today somebody who's 30 years old has always grown up with Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and we are so limited today by the rules that are set in place, which, to be honest, we're never built for these type of social media platforms. Those cause us, it makes it tougher for us to communicate and relate with clients, or prospective clients. Yeah. And I think that is something that really, we, you know, as an industry and as a country, we really need to you know, step back a little bit and look now, and I'm not any huge fan of social media, but I do believe it is a medium for communication that, that we don't get to tap very much because of the rules that are in place
0: today. I agree with that. I am a firm. I am firmly on your side there. Last one, buy or sell Amazon will be in our industry in some form by the end of 2025.
1: This is a tough one. I mean, I'm kind of on the fence here. I mean, I think that, you know, like I said, you know, I think the fragmentation really hurts uh, hurts our industry from a from a single disruptor that way but it, it only takes it only takes one company it may not even be Amazon I mean it could be somebody we we don't not even aware of yet I mean that's how quickly tech companies jump up and rise um, but I think you know there is a potential there for a company that can figure it all out and be able to do it easily still with a human touch but with enough automation and you know, economies of scale to be able to, to, to possibly do something. Yeah, it would be very very disruptive to the to the RA industry.
0: Yeah, no, I agree, and I think you know, Amazon will be there whether it's forward facing to the client or some way. I mean, we're all store, you know, whether we're in the cloud, right? That's an easy one. But I think that on a greater scale, you know, I don't know if they're going to be managing clients, but they, I think that they'll some of those types of companies will figure out a way to be impacting our industry well, continuously. I,
1: and the funny part is, most of them are in, in in your in your in your technology stack today anyway. Because if you use anything that uses AWS, yeah. you're you're with Amazon. If it's Azure, it's Microsoft, it's Google, it, I mean, it's Rackspace. It's you know, there's only three or four places that that really house big data. And you know, whether you realize it or not, and I think that was the funny thing, uh, funny conversation we had at the beginning of the year here. We were talking about you know technology stacks and how those things change. And you know, I, I think a couple of the the other partners here were very almost eye-open to, to realize that you know we do have stuff with Azure and we do have stuff with AWS and those things and it's like oh yeah Amazon and Microsoft they're firmly implanted in your technology stack whether whether you realize it or not
0: they're already and they're already impacting us so let's wrap this up so I can you can get back to your busy day and I can let you go so that uh, you've, uh, you've been gracious enough to, to kind of give us your time here. So as your closing thought, what is one operational or technological efficiency that a firm can put in place today and really see great ROI to the way they serve clients?
1: Uh, I mean, that's a great question. So I, I think the one thing that you can do today and you can really see the ROI. And I think the ROI should be two sided. Not only should the firm see the ROI, but the client should also see that return when you invest in something when you're investing, you know their fees into something going forward, and if I could tell you, it's software that makes system systemat- systemization easy, and that is whether that's CRM, um, whether that is planning software, whether that's paperless office. Mm-hmm. But in order to make it so that regardless of who the client ever works with at your firm, and if the client has been a member, you know, has been a client of your firm for forty years, twenty years, five years six months. People move, people change, but their experience never should. And the ability to build those things out and do those things in the back end, it does take some time, but you notice such a greater scale of economy from internal and your clients, should see this wonderful, consistent message from your whole company, regardless of whether they're working with Steve or whether they're working with Eric or whether they're working with Jessica. Everybody should get the same, the same level of service, and the systematization of, of doing those things in there makes it work.
0: Yeah, amen to that. That is a great closing thought. I'm gonna to try to see if I can just go level par with that with my closing thought here. Adopting a new technology doesn't tend to be the top priority of any founder or executive of a growing or even a newly established financial advisory firm. The reason, well, it, it, it's simple. Growth is our top priority, and rightfully so. And adopting new technologies tends to get in the way of our focus on growth. As our industry and as our world continues to evolve and our clients' lives evolve, And get more accepting of technology, it's going to be a necessity for financial advisory firms to enhance and grow and adopt new technologies. And so the question gets to how do we effectively adopt new technologies to get them, as Brian was saying, integrated into our company and ultimately see that ROI that we wish to achieve? As an executive or a founder of a firm, you are the visionary and should think of the business as a business and envision where you want the business to go. As a leader within the firm, you should find what technologies or what ideas you want to have implemented within your firm. Then it is about empowering. You have employees within your firm that want to take more ownership and that want to see the company grow. By empowering them, those individuals, to take the ideas that you have and run with them, get them implemented and spread them across your entire firm, that is the best way to go and to get adoption of new technology. Too often, as the founder and executive, we take the burden of anything new onto ourselves. But when it comes to accepting new technologies and adopting them within your firm, envision what you'd like and then empower your employees to run with the adoption, the integration and the spreading of that vision and innovation that you have for the firm. And thus, this is the answer to the quote, how we keep our firms growing and innovating at the same time. Brian, Jack, thanks again for joining us on Bridging the Gap. And to all the listeners out there, thank you for taking the time to listen to another episode of Bridging the Gap.
1: Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think.